Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Serverless Cast. We're coming to you live from the uh, the massive outdoor by the highway studios uh, at Serverless Conference this week, um, and and we have Jason McGee. Jason McGee, I want to get the title right, so maybe you should say the title. Uh, oh, sure. VP and CTO of IBM Cloud Platform. There you go. Thank you very much. And want to talk a, a little bit about IBM Cloud Platform and OpenWhisk and all of the, the various technologies today. Sure. Um, before I do that, uh, we've had kind of this running joke on the podcast a little bit of like serverless is now cloud in that you can't start the conversation without the definition. Right. And, and, but we've done it enough times. Hopefully everyone is starting to get it. But, but maybe if you could just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on event-driven right. programming, trigger. What, what, what is kind of the terminology you use that resonates with, with people? Yeah, I mean, I think serverless, um, you know, naming is always a challenging thing. And I think serverless maybe has an unfortunate name in that there's really two dimensions to the problem that serverless solves. One is the whole idea of not having servers and just letting developers focus on code and letting all the infrastructure concerns be managed for you. There's definitely a lot of benefits there we could talk about. But the more interesting dimension to me is events, right? And that the reason I think serverless is so popular right now is because cloud as a hosting platform combined with all the rich sources of events that we can get access to enable these new applications to be built. So I think event-oriented is actually a more um, appropriate description for what we're trying to accomplish. Here. Sure, absolutely. And I did notice in the keynote that you just finished up, um, you, you, you use the term FAS a lot, functions yeah. as a service, yes. right? And, and so it's funny for everyone that, you know, just every time we say serverless and they go, ah, and they freak out, like, it, for you, it's more FAS than, than serverless. Yeah, I mean, serverless is certainly the term. So, you know, sometimes you just got to deal with what people call things. <laughs> um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that, you know, a serverless platform is functions as a service driven by events. You know, that's ultimately what it's sure. doing, right? Sure. Um, and so... Um, that you know, we kind of use some of those terms interchangeably, but uh, but I like if you heard the scenarios that I talked about with some of uh, some of the ways people are using serverless. A lot of them are driven fundamentally by event-oriented workloads, about data change, about uh, IoT sensors, and other things, which are you know really well represented by this event happened. Let me do something about yeah. it. Yeah, right? yeah, and, and that's a great uh, segue into tell tell the listeners a little bit about some of the predominant use cases that, that you're seeing with the platform right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch. I mean, the, the, the maybe two that I'll call out. Uh, one is IoT. You know, if you think about um, IoT devices and sensors, uh, that's an immense stream of data flowing in, but that data is often event-oriented nature. Something changed in the environment. I got a new reading on some sensor. Uh, something happened in uh, my wind turbine or in my industrial equipment. And so you're seeing a lot of people using serverless to kind of build those um, IoT applications. They're also, frankly, very uh, erratic in the workloads they produce. You know, you get very kind of variable um, amounts of data flowing in based on what's going on in the world. And so, for example, we have a customer who's using uh, OpenWisk to do uh, an IoT application in the garbage management space. They basically are helping municipalities. Yeah, I saw the talk yesterday. It yeah, was they, really fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So they're using uh, they're using serverless 
to basically help municipalities optimize their um, municipal garbage collection costs by instrumenting sensors on all the trucks and then using the data from those sensors to uh, do analytics on, you know, the routes that they're performing and the pickups and loads and all that stuff and helping them figure out, well, how do I more efficiently collect the garbage, which, of course, is a cost to the municipality, right? So that's a good example. The second big use case, I think, is around... Um, around what I generally think of as kind of data change scenarios, but things like image processing and video processing. Like, I have a new piece of content, and I need to do something about it. I need to transcode it into a bunch of formats or resize it. Or some really interesting ones where they're linking that to some of our cognitive capabilities. Like, I want to uh, do image processing using Watson and understand what's in the image, uh, you know, what's going on within the context of this video. And so those are also good scenarios, because the fundamental trigger is, like, I got a new piece of content, and I want to do these seven things when that happens and i the amount of content i get is going to grow in an undetermined way serverless is a great platform yeah so and it might be helpful too for those that aren't familiar with it help everyone through just the platform and the wording and the terms because you've got blue mix you've got open whisk you've got so help everyone very quickly with kind of the the portfolio if you will of which products are which when when people hear the words right so blue mix is is our overall call platform so it's so that's like the umbrella it's the umbrella it's like a collection of a whole bunch of services that represent our full cloud platform Uh, and inside of uh, blue mix you have infrastructure things like compute storage and networking you have uh, platform level capabilities like containers and serverless with WISC, uh, and you have a whole collection of services around data and analytics and cognitive and other domains. Um, and so Bluemix is the big umbrella. Uh, within Bluemix, our serverless platform is OpenWISC. Um, and so OpenWISC is our functions platform. Um, and then, of course, as I said in the keynote, the, our OpenWISC stuff is built on some open technologies, which is the Apache OpenWISC project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so let's d- dig into that then now as well. So the, you've got the idea of one thing that's that I, I feel is really decently unique about it is uh, a, a combination of both on-prem and open source. Sure. Um, because uh, for, for me, that is super important, and I come from a background where I helped support an Apache project once upon a time, and so yep. the fact that this was kind of given over as an Apache project was, was very fascinating to me, and so um, how, is, how does that work out of uh, do you guys develop it in the upstream and pull down or, and tell us a little bit of like, how is the community using both the open source and the on-prem? Sure. So the open source dimension is driven out of, uh, one of the fundamental tenets of how we built our cloud, which is to build it on open technologies. You know, like if you look at the history of IBM over 20 plus years from the early days of Linux through the app server space, we believe very strongly that, um, we should differentiate on the quality of service we provide on the environment we give you to run in, not by locking you into the API. API that you're using. And so whether it's containers or infrastructure, all across Bluemix, you see lots of open technologies as the API you use. The serverless space didn't have one when we started, frankly. Sure. All the cloud providers built their own custom serverless platforms that were tied to that cloud. So when we started to build ours, we said, look, we're going to go do this in the open. So we built OpenWhisk. Uh, inside of IBM in development and research, and we contributed to that as an open source project and moved it into Apache. And that's so that people who use that platform have freedom to go somewhere else, right? And our normal model for open source is we, we, don't, we don't believe that open source is I have an upstream code base internally and I occasionally send stuff back. Like right. We do our development in the open, open project. We do it all in upstream. We pull from upstream straight into our cloud. Um, so, so we don't have this kind of delay between the good stuff and the community stuff, right? That's not really open source. Um, that enables some new scenarios, of course. People can bring that to other platforms. They can bring it on-prem. 
The bigger on-prem dimension for us is if you look at our the other tenant of our strategy is our customer, especially the enterprise market, they're going to be in a hybrid model where they're going to run lots of stuff in public cloud, they're going to run lots of stuff on-prem, they're going to have stuff in the middle. So we designed Bluemix to be available in kind of three delivery models, in, in multi-tenant public cloud, in something we call dedicated, which is in the public cloud, but a kind of an isolated environment where we've kind of walled you off a little bit from other people. Um, and then something we call local, which is an instance of Bluemix running inside your data center behind your firewall. And we try to provide a consistent experience, a consistent API across those things, right? So that customer has some freedom to move workloads back and forth. Good, good. Let's let's talk um, program, programming languages for a second as sure. well, because uh, one thing I'm finding with all of the various platforms out there is there's always the concept of these languages are GA, right? And these languages are either community or beta, yeah. or and so tell everyone a little bit about about when we talk about the platform, which languages are we talking about? Sure. Um, and so, especially with serverless, since you're kind of have a model where it's just like you write a snippet of code, the language level support is actually really important because you, as the developer, are now responsible for kind of crafting the whole language environment. Um, when we did when we started OpenWhisk, we started with a focus on three languages, which was Node.js, Java, um, and Swift on the server. We've added some others like Python, um, and then we had this generic kind of backdoor, if you will, which is like, I can also build stuff in a Docker image, which gives us a kind of a way to do all the other stuff you might want to do. And um, the three languages we focus on, and by the way, those three are kind of the primary languages we focus on in Bluemix generally, not just for WISC, but sure. for containers and other things. And we pick those because obviously Java has a very a most popular language in the world, strong heritage in IBM. We have lots of customers who do Java. Uh, Node.js is the dominant web programming model language. It's dominant because um, you can use JavaScript on the browser and on the server. So as a developer, you have one skill base and one tool base that works across the whole app. Swift is the new one. Yes. And it's interesting. Swift is, it is, I was going to say, it's really interesting that, yeah. that Swift is chosen as another platform. Right. And so, so the Swift came out of uh, essentially the same thought process as Node, which is, look, there's 11 plus million iOS developers building mobile apps in the world. There's a yeah. big base of developers with skill in WIS, or in Swift, sorry. And Swift is a relatively new thing, but it just incredible adoption rate, right? So you have this latent set of developers who understand the language, who are building mobile apps. Most mobile apps have a backend component, right? And so by being able to allow them to use Swift on the server, they get the same benefit a Node developer gets, which is one skill and one tool chain that works for the mobile side of the app and the backend side of the app. And so that's why we focused on Swift and we brought it into Whisk. Whisk also enables some other interesting scenarios, like most UI or mobile programming languages are very event-focused. Mm-hmm. And so we've done some things where you can take events on the device and forward the event to the server and implement it on the server in Swift. Sure, sure. And so as a developer, you can kind of implement a function and some of them run in your phone and some of them run on the cloud and the, it's really the same thing to you and you don't have to worry about the differences. And that's really powerful. Very nice, very nice. So um, well, I'll close it up with one final question too. Uh, something else from the keynote was the idea of API Gateway. Yes. And API Gateway just hit GA. Um, and a lot of our listeners probably aren't familiar with the concepts or the value and why that is such a big deal. Right. So if you don't mind, tell, take everyone through API Gateway. Sure. So the basic problem that something like an API Gateway solves is how do you manage access to your API? I mean, the whole kind of premise or promise of the API economy is that I can build a set of APIs that I expose outside my company to others to use, um, and, they, and they can get value out of it, and I can get value, maybe monetary value, out of that API. 
But what you realize very quickly as soon as you expose something outside your company is you have to be able to control access to it. Like, who can access that API? How frequently can they call that API? Because you, you don't want to get effectively a denial of service attack on the API. Um, who's using it, right? And how are they using it? There's all these problems that crop up on security and access and analytics uh, and, frankly, just documentation about how to do it. Um, and that's what API management is all about, is, like, providing those tools so it's easy for you to craft a public-facing API uh, control who has access to it, control rate limiting, do, do security, um, and do that in a consistent way across all the APIs. Um, and so we've been building that kind of management function for a long time in as part of Bluemix. And what we announced this week is we've connected that to Whisk. So as a developer, if you want to build a serverless function and expose that function as an API, that's kind of a one-click configuration thing. And now you have a fully managed API that you could feel comfortable putting out publicly and have that kind of management around it. And so a lot of people don't think about it because in the early stages, they're not worried about the external thing. They're just worried about getting it to work. Sure. But at some point in the life cycle, <laughs> you're like, oh, wait, I want somebody else to use this. And all these things crop up. Right. And we've provided this integration to make that easy to deal with. Yeah. It's not a matter of... Uh if you'll need it, it's a matter of when you'll need it. Yeah, it's it. when in the life cycle <laughs> do you need it, right, exactly. Well, great. We'll close this out. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for your time today. Um, where can everyone find out more about you, about OpenWhisk, and yep. everything else that's going on? I'm on Twitter, J.R. McGee on Twitter, uh, OpenWhisk, uh, bluemix.net slash OpenWhisk, and they can find out about everything we're doing. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.